Eric Carlson is now in the East. The Arizona Coyotes are thinking the postseason, and we rank the top 10 goalies in the Western Conference on today's episode of Locked On NHL. You're Locked On NHL, your daily podcast on the National Hockey League. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into a Western Conference Tuesday edition of Locked on NHL, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for tuning into today's episode of Locked on NHL. Make sure if you haven't already, you take the time to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any new episodes throughout the rest of the offseason. On today's episode of Locked on NHL, Nick Morgan and I go through the Eric Carlson trade, the big move to Pittsburgh. What's next for the San Jose Sharks after trading away yet another franchise superstar? We'll also talk about Matt Dumba signing in Arizona and the Arizona Coyotes thinking postseason here in 2023-2024. And of course, we'll finish with another ransom as we take a look at the top 10 goalies in the Western Conference. My name is Seth Topol, host of Locked on Wild, joined by my Tuesday co-host, Nick Morgan of Locked on Predators. Nick, we've got um, a meaty one here today because the final domino of the offseason happened over the weekend. Eric Carlson to San Jose. So we get to break that down here today. How's it going? It's going good. Finally, uh, some juicy news to talk about. You know, it kind of feels like that was the last big matzo ball in, <laughs> in, in, in the matzo ball soup of this NHL offseason that we, that we had to really digest. Uh, and it's finally done. And I got to say, uh, a little surprised with how the deal finally shook out. And I'm sure you're surprised as well. I was. It ended up being a three-team, 12 12- asset trade that included players that included prospects that included draft picks it's the biggest trade in san jose sharks history um and so it seems fitting that it would be eric carlson going to pittsburgh nick there are a lot of angles to break down for this the montreal canadians were involved the san jose sharks got one first round pick and a couple of players on expiring contracts Ultimately, did San Jose get enough or did they really have no choice in uh, in getting this return for Eric Carlson? Well, they didn't have a lot of leverage, but here's the thing. I've seen a lot of people talk about this and say, you know, the, the Sharks are losers. They, they lost Carlson uh, and didn't get much in return. The biggest part of this deal, Seth, is the Sharks only retained one and a half million dollars. We were talking you know, all throughout the trade deadline. So the Sharks might have to retain like maybe as much as half of this. Like they might have to have like, you know, six, $7 million on the books, you know, to, to get this guy off the roster and to be able to not only get him with only retaining like 1.5, that's $10 million off the books, but you also have a couple of expiring contracts as well. Uh, who can step into the lineup throughout this year. So that was the biggest thing for San Jose to me, not necessarily who they got back or the, the draft pick they got back, which, you know, 
knowing Pittsburgh will probably be somewhere, you know, high 19s or high teens, something like that. But it's about the flexibility. This is the situation to kind of handcuff the Sharks long term. And Mike Greer, I think, did a good job of just making sure the Sharks were going to be flexible moving forward. And, and it's a tricky situation, too, because the Carlson contract, there's four more years on it. And he's getting up there in age. And so I don't know that it's necessarily questioned that he'll make it through the deal. But what sort of player do you have in those final two years and that final year of that deal? And as for Pittsburgh, I mean, this is just Kyle Dubas in in a nutshell. This is just what he does. And now he's taking his show to Pittsburgh and is trying to put together a team that can maximize the last couple of years of Sidney Crosby in Pittsburgh. And so from the Dubas perspective, really not a lot to give up other than some players on the roster and, and that first round pick, not a lot to give up in terms of, of prospects and assets to bring in a guy who is just going to be a massive weapon for them in the East. Yeah. I mean, essentially a first round pick, you know, that that's kind of the bulk of the deal. I think they had like another, uh, second round pick uh, that wound up in Montreal and that as well. And if you're Pittsburgh, like that's fine. Like I know a lot of people are saying, well, this isn't what they need to be doing. They should be looking towards the future past the Crosby and Malkin era. Internally, that's not what the Penguins are saying. Like we know the situation. They're going to try to milk Crosby and Malkin for all it's worth. They're going to try to get anything they can uh, to get that one last cup run out of them. Is Eric Carlson that guy that gets him there? You know, I'm not quite sure. Um, you know, are like you mentioned, are we going to get the Eric Carlson from last year that won the Norris and, you know, topped 100 points? Or are we going to get the Eric Carlson, you know, two, three years ago that showed signs of regression? I think that's a big question mark. But, you know, at the end of the day, for the Penguins, it's it's a bit of a gamble, but one that you would want to make if you're Kyle Dubas, just to try to see if you can get another cup run there. Yeah, and, and I don't blame Dubas for trying to kind of kick the can down the road as far as the future is concerned, because you're dealing with a post Sidney Crosby landscape, and, and I don't know if anybody in Pittsburgh wants to talk about that right now, so... It makes sense to just say, well, we'll just we'll just deal with that when we when we have to. But the, the fascinating part, I think, is is what happens now for San Jose, because we've seen them now deal Brent Burns to Carolina and now Eric Carlson to Pittsburgh. And it really is, I think, a continuance of Mike Greer trying to get to trying to get to kind of that base level and then just start to build things back up. Uh, over the next couple of years through the draft, getting some high picks and uh, very much in a similar manner to where Chicago is going right now. Yeah. And, and you're just trying to, like I said, that's, that's be flexible. Uh, that's kind of their main goal. Uh, there's been a lot of people kind of pointing at San Jose and say they're going to do what Chicago did last year and kind of just be, you know, the, the, the good old fashioned tank job to try to get another high pick. I don't know if that's going to be the case or not, I'm also interested to see, you know, what other moves, you know, the Sharks might make. I mean, they have some big contracts still on the books. You know, they just got uh, Tomas Hurdle, uh, who's still very much, uh, you know, in the infant stages of that big contract he just signed. You know, you got Logan Couture at four more years, eight million per. 
Uh, so, you know, it's interesting if, if they're, if he's, if Mike Greer is going to kind of sit on that and be like, okay, you know, we've kind of done what we can, uh, or maybe, you know, there's maybe a little bit more in the, in the sharks tank here a little bit. Maybe they're more aggressive at moving another big contract off the board and just kind of trying to see what they can get for it. But, uh, I'm very curious to see what the sharks do next, because this is a team that I think maybe still has some more tinkering left to do to, to bottom out. I don't want to say tank, but maybe bottom out is the right word. Well, I know one thing that they won't do. There was a little bit of some rumors that maybe they were going to be a suitor for Matt Dumba, depending on, uh, on where Carlson ended up going. Well, he's not going to San Jose because he signed with Arizona and Arizona is feeling some kind of way here. Uh, as this offseason moves on. So we will continue today's episode of Locked on NHL discussing the Arizona Coyotes offseason and their chances in the Western Conference playoff picture that is on the way after this. Our next partner is a product that I use on an everyday basis. And really all it comes down to is just trying to simplify your vitamin and supplement routine going from multiple bottles of vitamins and supplements to just one scoop in a glass of water each day. That one scoop can provide you with up to 75 high-quality vitamins and minerals that encompass everything from your gut health to your energy throughout the day, so no more crashing at your desk during the lunch hour. If you want a comprehensive solution for all of your supplements, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash NHL Network. That's drinkag1.com slash NHL Network. Again, drinkag1.com slash NHL Network. Check it out today. Continuing today's episode of Locked on NHL, a Western Conference Tuesday. Thank you once again for making Locked on NHL your first listen each and every day. Seth Sopal joined by Nick Morgan. Nick, the Arizona Coyotes continue to make some moves here this offseason. They've added Nick Bukestead back, Jason Zucker, Matt Dumba now in the fold, a one-year $3.9 million deal, and the Coyotes' social media admin had an interesting way of announcing the signing with a uh, Photoshop of Matt Dumba, but then the X or tweet, the thing formerly known as a tweet. We'll figure said, out. Yeah, we're still working on that. Uh, it said the Yotes are a wagon. Dare we say the P word? And they were, of course, talking about the playoffs. Now, I'm all for social media admins getting into it and feeling some kind of a way, but have the Coyotes done enough to knock on the door of a postseason berth this year? I mean, let me answer it in this way. Uh, I like what the Coyotes have done this offseason. Uh, another guy, you know, you mentioned all the players they got. Another guy is Sean Dersey, who is a very capable top four defenseman in Los Angeles last year and a very on a very good team uh, Kings team. Is it enough for the coyotes to make the playoffs? I mean, 
it's you look at this team and does it scream playoff team? No. Do, do you look at them and say they are distinctly better than let's say like eight or nine teams that might make the playoffs? No. But here's the thing. Is this a team that can take a big step forward this year? That's not out of the question either. And, you know, you mentioned all the people they brought in. They also have Logan Cooley waiting in the wings. That's going to make his debut this year. You have uh, Clayton Keller still under 25 years old, maybe the most underrated player in the NHL right now. Uh, and he's somebody who just topped 86 points. He's only going to get better. You know, you have all this young talent sort of ready to, to go. And if you're the Coyotes, look, I'm not going to bet playoff money or anything like that. But maybe instead of being like, you know, have the five or six pick next year, maybe they're like nine or ten. And then maybe the year after that, maybe once some of these young players, you know, get their feet wet a little bit, you know, take strides. Then maybe in a couple of years, we can look at this Coyotes team. And it's like, okay, is this a team ready to make a step towards a playoff? I'm not saying that's going to happen this year, but I do like what the Coyotes have done. Uh, and I do see them maybe taking a big step forward this year. Maybe just not playoffs. Yeah, and I think FanDuel is reflecting some of that as well because I- I'm looking through some of their odds for various things. Uh, the Coyotes are currently plus 1,100 for worst regular season record in 2023-2024. So they are way off of the pace of the San Jose Sharks, who we just talked about. And so I think we're starting to see some of that notoriety of, okay, this is a team that is trying to get above the likes of Chicago, the likes of Anaheim, mm-hmm. the likes of San Jose. And Honestly, I think the Coyotes performed well enough last year to give a ton of teams fits. I cover one in particular that they did a couple of times. They gave the Avalanche a run for their money in a few different games. And so that's the hope for Arizona right now is that you're starting to see those young guys make strides. You inject veteran presences into the lineup. But on the flip side, Let's say things don't go well. Arizona has, I think, three very marketable assets on the trade deadline that they can flip for prospects. And I think that's something that they should look at doing. Um, And and that's why on uh, Lockdown Wild, I went so far a few weeks ago to say, Matt Dumba makes a ton of sense for Arizona. If they sign him to a one-year deal, if he plays well, if they're not doing well, you flip him at the deadline and you're ahead prospects or draft picks. Mm -hmm. And so they're playing this well in that if they do well, these guys are going to be a big part of it. If not, they're going to come away out in front at the deadline. Now, I'm with you. I don't know that it's enough for a postseason push because you just look at the top teams in both conference or in both divisions. Vegas, Uh, The Kings, the Kraken, Edmonton, those are pretty, those are four pretty solidly in the playoff picture teams in the central Colorado and Dallas. Those guys are going to be in the postseason picture as well. You then have the contingent of Minnesota. You've got St. Louis, you've got Winnipeg, you've got Nashville who are all 
in similar proximity to each other. And so those teams, I think at minimum, not counting what Vancouver could do, not counting what Calgary is hoping to do. Those are the teams at minimum that you would have to jump. And so I think it's a little too much. I respect the hustle tremendously of the Coyotes social media team to get the buzz going because a team like Arizona deserves to have some buzz for once. Mm -hmm. And I think it all culminates too. They are nearing a extension with their head coach or is rumored that there was going to be an extension going on relatively soon. So it just, it feels like for the first time in a long time, Arizona has all their cards in a row. They just need a few things to go right. And why not? You know, because look at the Arizona Coyotes as a franchise. You know, they're trying to get somewhere in Arizona to give them a long-term home. They're trying to get this fan base re-energized. They're, they're just trying to find something positive to build on. So why not just go out, sign some players? I would say this is the most, you know, active they've been uh, in any sort of free agency or, or trade market, you know, in terms of getting people into Arizona in a very long time, probably all the way back to that, you know, six month span where they brought Phil Kessel and Taylor Hall in, you know, why not? Like, let's, let's just try to get some of that buzz back in Arizona. And, and as you said, like, if it doesn't work out, it's almost like what Steve Eiserman has done with the Red Wings. You just bring in some veteran guys that, you know, you hope can add some juice to your lineup and help these young players. And if you're not in a position to make the playoffs, then they're perfect people to just, you know, maybe get a second or, you know, an extra third round pick at the deadline. Um, and, and they're not, you know, they're, I don't think we're going to have like a Jacob Chikrin situation with anybody else on the roster anytime soon where you're just yeah not sure what to do with. I mean, Clayton Keller's locked up for five more years. Um, you know, it's, don't think you're going to have to worry about Carl Vamelka or anything like that. You know, all your other key building blocks are 21 years or younger. So for, for Arizona, things may be looking up. Uh, Robin, Matthew from, from Locked on Coyotes, if you're listening, we, we like what you're doing. We respect it. We respect the hustle um, and we'll be rooting for a postseason push probably next year. May, I mean, if it happens this year, I'm going to be banging the table for it. Oh, for I sure. think that would be a riot to have postseason hockey at Mullet Arena. Um, let's see what happens. Now, one of the main reasons that the Coyotes maybe are not going to get to the postseason is that they just don't have the goaltending yet. But we are going to go and give you 10 goalies who definitely do have it in the Western Conference as we finish today's episode of Locked on NHL after this. Final segment of today's episode of Locked on NHL, a Western Conference Tuesday. Seth Topol joined by Nick Morgan. Thank you once again for making Locked on NHL your first listen each and every day. It's Rankum time as we will be taking a look at the top 10 goalies in the Western Conference as of right now. Now, if you followed along with our inaugural edition of our rankings where we ranked the top 10 coaches, what we're going to do is throughout the rest of the offseason, we'll rank various positions 
in the Western Conference. We're only doing a top 10. So there are going to be teams who have players left off the list, who don't quite make the cut, but we will reserve the right to make adjustments as the season goes on. We'll check back and uh, I can look at some of mine and say, yeah, I didn't know what I was talking about here at all. So very excited to dive into the goalies because Western Conference has some good ones, uh, to say the least. So, Nick, I think what we're going to do, I like having you lead this off, and then what I'll do is I'll just give commentary um, and kind of go through my picks, higher, lower, what have you. So uh, feel free to uh, to hit me with your list. All right, so let's start with the top because I think there's tiers here. I think there are three franchise goalies in the West. And when I say franchise goalies, I mean guys who consistently year in and year out have proven to be among the best goalies in the NHL. Yep. That's Connor Hellebuck. That's UC Saros. And that's Jake Ottinger. Those are the three to me. I right now, I'm sorry, my own people listening to me. I have Hellebuck as number one in the West. Uh, for the sole reason that he beat UC Saros head-to-head last year. I have Saros number two, and I know there's going to be maybe some Stars fans not happy with that, but here's the thing with UC Saros last year. I don't think enough people respect what UC Saros did. And I know, like, only two shutouts and, you know, low goals against and all that. Look at the Nashville Predators and look at the defensive stats they were the third worst defensive team in the NHL, only above Columbus and Anaheim, number two, or like the two worst teams in the NHL last year, and just barely behind the Chicago Blackhawks, who were the number one pick. And for UC Saros to take that team, who should have been a Connor Bedard contender, and lead them to one spot, one game away from a postseason berth, I don't think enough people respect uh, what they, you know, what UC Saros did. Uh, and then I have Jake Ottinger three. I'm going to pause there just to give you, Seth, a, a chance to comment on the top three, because I know you got some opinions on that. Um, Great start, because I agree with you that this is a list that needs to be broken up, because you're spot on is the, you're, you're talking first about the guys that are the unquestioned goalies of their team. You have a backup solely because you need to have one on your team, on your roster, Mm -hmm. but it's not a backup that factors a ton into what's going on. And you are, as somebody who covered them all season, uh, you are right on with UC Soros because there were many nights uh, in which the disparity in shots, the disparity in time in the zone was hilariously distorted. Hilarious is not the word I would use, but go ahead. (laughs) And so I don't think he got nearly enough credit for keeping the predators afloat, which is why I'm putting him number one, because I think it is just, it's unbelievable to me. The, and and this isn't just this isn't something that just happened you know this past season he's been doing this for a while yeah and the numbers year in year out are fantastic 
he's just he's unquestioned not only the best goalie in this in the central division but I, I think he is without a doubt the best in the western conference as well so i'm going sorrows one i'm going hellbuck number two because again that jets team basically rode hellbuck to a playoff push after they fell apart and the reason they fell apart is because they were not able to score any goals. It wasn't like he cratered or anything. So I'm going Hellebuck number two, because also I think we see a little bit higher echelon from Hellebuck this year, showcasing his talents for potential suitors for a trade. And then I'm going Jake Ottinger number three. Ottinger is vastly rising in the Western conference. And so it's not, it's not like one, two, Three. It's like these guys are pretty closely scrunched together, but I think of the two, or I think of those three, mm-hmm. Saros and Ottinger or, and uh, Hellebuck are at the top of my list, but I'm going mm-hmm. to UC one because, mm-hmm. again, and it was from a fantasy hockey perspective, I think, that really opened my eyes to it. Yeah. Every night I'd look and it's like he 58 saves again. Yeah. It's like they're playing the Ducks. How is this possible? But they just, if there was a puck on the ice, it was being possessed by the other team, like the whole game. Oh, yeah. It's it's bizarre uh, what he's done. And like we're saying, like think of Nashville, you know, maybe maybe the stats, like the baseline stats for UC Saros aren't impre- impressive. But it's he's maybe allowing three goals a game, but that's because he's stopped forty six of forty nine. Just imagine right. if the Predators' defense picks up, and you know all all of a sudden he's stopping you know twenty nine of thirty. Like that's that's where he can get. Uh, I'm curious about the rest of the list. So here's what I had. Uh, this is going to be all over the place because now you're getting into okay their legacy as a goalie versus just how hot they've been lately. Sure. So I this was the rest of my list. Four for you, Philip Gustafson. Really like what he did. Uh, five, I had Alexander Yorgiev. Uh, six, I cheated and just put the entire Vegas Golden Knights team because <laughs> I I couldn't bet who's going to be in goal next year, but all seven goalies they used uh, last season seemed to work out very well and all had pretty respectable numbers. Uh, Stuart Skinner, seven. Uh, I had Thatcher Demko, eight. Uh, nine, I got fancy and put a backup. Fabel Francois Ooh. Uh, at number nine. And then 10 was debating between a couple people. Uh, it's not often you're going to hear me put a sub 900 goaltender up there. But just based on legacy, given Jacob Markstrom, 10. And Jacob Markstrom is, I think, a great candidate for a bounce back year because that entire Flames team was in the meat grinder last year. Mm-hmm. So I I like the list because I think uh, I think Gustafson and Gorgiev are pretty close um, in what they accomplished. I want to see another season of that from Gustafson before we put him in that franchise tier. Like he obviously had a fantastic season, but it's possible that those numbers dip a bit uh, to where we kind of see where he really is. And so if he is able to do this again, then I'm going to put him higher on the list. But I I think four is a good spot. 
Gorgiev is right there as well. Um, and, and honestly, I don't really have any objections to the rest of your list. I'm glad, though, to not see a particular St. Louis Blues goalie in your top 10. Um, he, he is, if we're doing like in terms of spectacle, he's number one. Bennington is number one. If we're doing like public spectacle and just like taunting fans, fighting other players on other teams, he's number one in that category. But uh, he's got some work to do to get back into the top 10 of this list. Um, And so we'll see how things play out as the season goes on. But another interesting one that uh, that I wanted to throw at you. Um, for this list as well was Philip Grubauer. I wouldn't put him in the top 10 at this point, mm-hmm. but um, if he plays like he did in the postseason mm-hmm. or the Kraken, especially early on, he might get back in there. Yeah. I mean, just give him a good season. Like he hasn't had a good season in two years with Seattle. Yeah. I think that's what kept him out, but like again, like that was the playoffs kind of reminded you of this, uh, you know, last couple of years with Colorado. So not out of the question we see Grubauer back, bounce back up there. We'll adjust these rankings as we go, but that will do it for today's episode of Locked on NHL. Make sure that you follow Nick and Locked on Predators for more Nashville Predators content and myself with Locked on Wild for more Minnesota Wild content as well. Make sure you subscribe to Locked on NHL for more NHL content throughout the week. And we've got new episodes coming at you all week long as part of the Locked on Podcast Network.